Welcome to Sharing About Caring. I'm your host, Carlos Briseño. I created this show as a way to share the creative content of those who are caring for others and those who are the recipients of care. As a storyteller, I understand how writing can act as a therapeutic and cathartic way to deal with the intensity that's involved in caring and being cared for. As a podcaster, I also realize the power of audio to convey the human voice as an instrument of truth. In today's episode, you will hear from a journalist who wrote a book about being a caregiver, a writer who wrote a book of daily meditations for caregivers, a patient advocate who wrote a letter to his mother who died from Huntington's disease, a mom who wrote a poem about her son who's battling a rare disease, and two caregivers who started a ministry about caregiving and wrote a guided journal to help nourish the souls of those who care for others. Kate Washington is a journalist and the author of a recently published book called Already Toast, Caregiving and Burnout in America. In the book, Kate writes about taking care of her husband who had an aggressive cancer that required a stem cell transplant in 2016, which triggered severe complications that robbed him of his eyesight and nearly his life. He remains chronically ill today. Here is Kate explaining some of what she felt as she dealt with the challenges of caregiving. In despair, I typed caregiver into Google, planning to follow it up with resources or support group. The first search the autofill suggested, however, was caregiver burnout. I sighed and clicked. That morning, I'd cried my way through a miserable appointment with my husband Brad's oncologist. The news we'd received had been no grimmer than any other development over the preceding 18 months of his treatment for a rare T-cell lymphoma, which had included a debilitating stem cell transplant. But on that hot July day in 2016, I was so exhausted by the caring grind that I could no longer cope. To my embarrassment, I couldn't stop weeping or even look up. I'd always tried to project competence with Brad's physicians so they would take my question seriously, but by 10 a.m. I was already worn out. I'd spent the morning packing lunches, running our kids to summer camp, loading a heavy wheelchair into the car, wheeling my frail husband across hot asphalt, and picking up a dozen new meds from the cancer center pharmacy. All on not enough sleep and with the knowledge that bills, laundry, and plenty else were waiting for me at home. My good caregiver mask dropped. Tears fell on the coral-colored jersey dress I'd worn to try to present myself as capable rather than a frazzled disaster. As I broke down, the oncologist chided me for not taking good enough care of myself. If I didn't, he said, how could I take care of my husband? Fragile and overextended, I heard in that question an implication that the only point of me, as a human and not coincidentally as a woman, was to care for another person. What about my own life? Didn't I deserve care in my own right? I left the office as silently as I'd sat in it, but fuming now instead of crying. The so-called self-care the oncologist had prescribed felt like yet another task I resented, yet another obligation I had to fulfill. What I wanted was for somebody else to volunteer to care for me. Still, I dutifully went home and Googled, intending to look for resources. The top result for caregiver burnout was a quiz to determine whether the caregiver taking it was burned out. I took it. At the end, I got the breezy result, you're already toast, illustrated with a stock photo of a charred piece of bread. 
The website recommended taking more time for myself, getting a massage or going on walks, arranging for care so I could have an hour to myself, or even an occasional night away. But it said nothing about what to do if I was already doing those things and was burned out anyway. At first, I wasn't particularly bothered by the quiz's cheerful assertion that I was already toast. Toast is the food of invalids, the food of comfort, the food I turn to when I am sick, when I am sad, when someone I love is either of those things. Cut into strips, soaked in butter, unchallenging, warm, browned, delicious thanks to the Maillard reaction. Why is it also a negative word? Why, you're toast. Toasting usually makes things better. Burning makes them worse. But this quiz result was clearly negative. You're done, crisped, eaten, chewed up, swallowed, sounded about right. I spent more than two years as Brad's primary caregiver during the long, intense crisis phase of his illness. In the years since, as he's endured disability and chronic illness, my responsibilities have ebbed and flowed depending on his health. During the long crisis, I was so overwhelmed and eventually so burned out that I sometimes fantasized about simply turning around while driving to the pharmacy or the grocery store, heading to the airport instead, and buying a ticket on any plane going somewhere semi-tropical. I was 42 when Brad was diagnosed, and I joked to friends that I was having a very inconvenient midlife crisis. Under the dark humor lay a lot of truth. What stopped me from abandoning my life was the thought of the fallout, likely endangering my husband's life, shocking our friends, further traumatizing our already fragile children, inducing lifelong guilt by becoming a person who left her husband at his lowest point, alienating everyone I've ever loved, everyone who has ever loved me. I stayed. Brad is no longer desperately ill, but he was permanently disabled by the after effects of his treatment. We've worked hard, often painfully, to rebuild our marriage and our lives. It's still a work in progress. In the long ordeal of his illness, his survival was the focus. If cancer is often described as a battle, a metaphor I dislike since it's hardly a fair fight, I feel like my life was collateral damage. When dealing with those who are suffering, caregivers often rely on the power of love to help them overcome whatever obstacles they deal with in caring for others. Patricia Houlihan, a writer and essayist, recently wrote a book called Hands and Hearts Together, Daily Meditations for Caregivers, to provide day-to-day sustenance for those caring for loved ones. Any caregiver who reads the book will feel understood and invited to more fully embrace the significance of their journeys. Each day's reading begins with a quote, followed by an easily accessible short meditation that illuminates an aspect of caregiving. The meditation ends with an uplifting message or thought for the day. Here is Patricia's meditation on the power of imperfect love, one of three meditations I will be sharing from her in this episode. From June 6th, quote, Love that stammers, that stutters, is apt to be the love that loves best, end quote, by Gabriella Mistral. This is a great reminder that we all make mistakes, we all fall short of our own ideas of perfection, and yet our intention to love is what really matters. There were times when I made mistakes as a caregiver. I didn't ask enough questions. I should have called in my cousin who is a priest. I should have stayed longer on one particular day when my mother later injured herself. Some days I definitely missed cues that I might not have missed if I had been more tuned in to my intuition and less exhausted. Other days, it was easier to feel I had done the right thing. I could have used regular reminders that I didn't need to be perfect. 
There was a sharp learning curve going on. Suddenly I needed to be part nurse, part consumer advocate, part health advocate, and always sensitive to how and when to share information. I, we, made mistakes. But what I want to honor through it all, through the mistakes and stammers, is the power of the language of love. Thought for the day. Caregivers are conveyors of love, even on days when the love on our tongue stutters or stammers. Let us honor the deep language of love that we are living. Lucine Marabi is an international speaker, trainer, and advisor in negotiations and emotional intelligence. She is the mother of a boy who has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a rare and progressive genetic disorder that has no cure. It causes muscle weakness and atrophy and later leads to respiratory problems. The average lifespan is between the late teens to early 30s. In December 2020, when her son was nine years old, he had trouble walking. The moment that she had been fearing since his diagnosis three years earlier had arrived. He needed a wheelchair. The realization made her sad and angry. One evening, she was alone at home and started typing a note on her phone. What you are about to hear is the poem she wrote that offers a snapshot to what she was feeling at the time. Here is her poem called Life Negotiations. I'm smiling and happy, yet my heart is in pain. I'm smiling and grateful, yet worried again. I knew this day would come, but I'm not ready yet. My son in a wheelchair, I wish Duchenne would wait. Wait until I'm stronger to deal with this new reality. This child no longer able to walk is not just an ad for a charity. Now that it's my own son who can no longer walk, it's time for me again to walk the talk. Another round of negotiations with life, listening with empathy, understanding my needs while facing this reality. I can't change the wheelchair, but I can change the way I look at it. Now he won't fall anymore, so I might as well appreciate it. This new chapter in life is starting, whether I'm ready or not. Agility and resilience will be needed quite a lot. Searching for meaning in this madness called life. Staying very grateful, although it cuts like a knife. I'm not a scientist and can't cure this disease, but I can try to make him live his life at ease. Now that the years in his life are limited, We'll add life to the years. To that, I'm committed. Here we go, I promise to do my best. With love and courage facing this quest. Preparing for unforgettable adventures. Be it on wheels. That's how I'll negotiate with life. Meaningful deals. That poem shows why many people turn to writing as a cathartic way to deal with their emotions. Here's another example of someone who turned to writing in the form of a letter to pour out his feelings. Seth Rotberg, a patient advocate and motivational speaker, has made it his life's work to help others along their odysseys of facing adversity or roadblocks in their lives. Adversity is something he's been dealing with since finding out at the age of 15 about his mother's diagnosis of Huntington's disease. 
Five years later, genetic testing revealed he is also gene positive for Huntington's disease, which is commonly referred to as having the equivalent of Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Seth's mother passed away in 2015 after battling the disease for 17 years. Here is a letter he recently wrote to her in which he shares about what she taught him in dealing with Huntington's. Dear Mom, has it really been six years since you've been gone? I remember it like yesterday, where I would be making the drive to the nursing facility for my weekly visit. We would end up having lunch or dinner together while watching Law & Order SVU. I haven't watched an episode since because that's our thing. Or if it was nice enough outside, I would take you out of the nursing home and down the hill to the dockside restaurant where you would order your dry martini, extra dry. It was either that or a white Russian, which I selfishly enjoyed more. Can you blame me? I miss those days and the future memories we could have made. Family vacations, mother-son dance at my wedding, being a grandmother, among other things. But I'm also glad you are no longer suffering from Huntington's disease. To be honest, that was the hardest part of the visit because I knew there was nothing I could do to make the disease go away. And knowing in the back of my mind that could be me one day made things even scarier. However, you did teach me a lot about how to live life and I'm forever thankful for that. As I saw you fight back against Huntington's disease, you also stayed positive and kept your sense of humor. Whether it was making a funny joke or acting like the mayor of your floor, you truly lived in the moment. No matter how tough life got, you never gave up. I know our family was dealt a bad hand, but it taught me a lot about appreciating the little things in life and not taking anything for granted. Our family stuck together through the hardship and became closer because of it. I will continue to fight against Huntington's disease until there is an effective treatment or cure. I know you would do the same if you were in my shoes. Thank you for watching over me and reminding me you're always with me through little signs here and there. Love, Seth. Writing letters is one way to express love to someone. Another way is through using color. Here is Daily Meditations by Patricia Houlihan from her book, Hands and Heart Together, Daily Meditations for Caregivers. This one deals with the color of love. This one is from June 5th. Quote, In our life there is a single color, as on an artist's palette, which provides the meaning of life and art. It is the color of love. End quote by Mark Chagall. Color in Chagall's artwork is both brilliantly beautiful and beautifully brilliant. He is most known for his paintings and stained glass work. Color was his medium, but in his words, the color that provided the true meaning for his art and his life is the color of love. The color of love is an interesting concept, one worth pondering and borrowing. How might color brighten up our days as a caregiver? There are many ways for color to be an expression of love. The beauty of flowers is an obvious one. This is why flowers are such a popular gift for important occasions. Yet there are many other ways that color can be an expression of love. Perhaps a new sweater or blanket for your loved one in their favorite shade of blue. 
or a new scarf or tablecloth can be a way that color can uplift one's heart. More than once, my mother let me know that the color I was wearing was something she appreciated. We can express ourselves through color, but above all, we can express our love through color. Thought for the day. I can look around me and find creative ways to let the color of love enter my world and my day. Caregivers often deal with the many burdens in their lives. Time can become a wearying litany of duties that leaves little time for rest. In their book called The Caregiver's Companion, A Christ-Centered Journal to Nourish Your Soul, Deborah Kelsey Davis and Kelly Johnson offer a practical guide to help caregivers discover the blessings within the burdens. In this short reading from their book, they share some tips about how caregivers can be present in the moment with a just-for-today attitude. So just for today, every believer in this world must be a spark of light, a core of love, life-giving love in the mass. And the more he is so, the more he will live in his innermost depths in communion with God. Taken from the homily of Cardinal Tarsicio Bertone, commemorating Pope John the 23rd in the year 2006. Caring for another person places you on one of the most intimate journeys you can make. Wouldn't you love to spare some of your time each day just to be with your loved one, to be in the moment, to see the good things, and to make the memories that will remain with you forever? Of course you do. We all do. But how, you might ask? Well, St. John the Twenty-Third, one of the most influential people of the 20th century for convening the Second Vatican Council, was known for his ordinary ways. One of the great gifts he gave us, the Daily Decalogue of Pope John the 23rd. The Daily Decalogue offers gentle wisdom to help you embrace a just-for-today attitude. Let's reflect for a moment. Here are the highlights of the Daily Decalogue of Pope John the 23rd, which we've summarized in our own words for you. 1. Just for today, I will live positively, without trying to solve all of my problems at once. Two, just for today, I will not try to improve anyone but myself. I will not criticize anyone. Three, just for today, I will acknowledge I was created to be happy, not just in the next life, but in this one as well. Four, just for today, I will adapt to others without expecting others to bend to my wishes. Five, just for today, I will find 10 minutes to read a good book, to feed my soul. Six, just for today, I will do a good deed and not tell anyone about it. Seven, just for today, I will do one thing I do not enjoy doing without drawing attention to it. Eight, just for today, I will be on guard against both hastiness and indecision. Nine, just for today, 
I believe that God cares about me as he cares about no one else. And 10, just for today, I will not be afraid to enjoy what is beautiful and to believe in goodness. Which one of these do you need most right now? Today and every day, give yourself permission to be nourished by God. Everyone who has shared in this podcast has experienced life as a caregiver. Patricia Houlihan's experiences come from her caring from her elderly aunts, uncle, father, and then her mother during the last four years of her mom's life. In the preface of her book, Hands and Hearts Together, Patricia writes, The caregiving path is not for the faint of heart, but it is filled with gentle and surprising gifts. One of the gifts she shares in one of her meditations is the gift of music. Here is what she has to say on the matter. From December 1st, quote, Music can name the unnameable and communicate the unknowable. End quote by Leonard Bernstein. There is a musical group in my city that has combined a family members and those who suffer from dementia or other kinds of memory loss. They sing together. Studies have shown that many people who have forgotten much still remember songs, both words and melodies. This is a wonderful way for them to be together, immersed in a common love of song. Something unknowable and in some ways unnameable happens when music becomes the bridge to connect human hearts. Music takes over where words cannot go. Over the course of a lifetime, most of us have had many powerful experiences that were underscored by music. In the gentle days of caregiving, there are many ways we can bring music into the experience to soothe our loved ones and ourselves. Listening to music, singing, or humming are all ways that mysteriously connect us to one another and to a life force of memory. Thought for the day. Today I can let music be part of my caregiving. There are many ways to do so. In this last segment, I want to bring back Kate Washington, who opened this episode by reading from her book, Already Toast. In this excerpt, she talks about the crisis in care in the United States and highlights the systemic shortcomings facing 50 million caregivers about how society devalues care and does little to support it. She advocates for a change in cultural attitudes and wants bold and ambitious plans to change laws and policies. We are all born needing care, and most of us die needing it too. Nearly all of us will also need help when we're ill along the way. It's not weak or unusual to want and need tending, despite what the American culture of individualism and the laws and policies that reinforce it might have us all think. The care we want and need in illness or other troubles can take many forms, whether it's as small as asking for tissues and spicy soup when battling a sinus infection, or as all-encompassing as the kind of support Brad needed. Somebody has to provide that care, and odds are that the people who do the job, being human, will also need care for themselves, and so on and so on. How can we make it easier, as a society, to ensure that everybody gets the care they need? There are plenty of well-intentioned caregiver resources out there to tell us what the solutions are. As we've seen, however, many put the onus right back on the already overburdened caregiver to arrange for their own self-care. 
Solutions involving respite care or the like are profoundly inaccessible for the millions of caregivers who lack financial resources to dip into, family or social ties to draw on, or the luxury of even an hour of free time. As I've said, I was more privileged than most, and I was able to do most of that. But as I often thought about pregnancy, even an easy version of caregiving isn't easy. The issue, which I think is the case with so many of our big problems in the United States, is that all of these measures offer small-scale, individual solutions to large-scale, systemic shortcomings. The challenges of caregiving arise not because individual families have foolishly failed to set themselves up better to do it. They exist because our society consistently devalues care and does little or nothing to support it. Much as climate change won't be solved by me getting my kids to use reusable snack bags, the crisis in care can't be addressed by any number of massages for individuals. Not to pick on massages, which I love, or on my kids, who are getting better about single-use plastics. For systemic problems, we need systemic solutions, which involve a sea change in cultural attitudes and bold, ambitious plans to change laws and policies. The coming wave of care needs may force a reckoning around caregiving or may simply make the burdens of more than 50 million Americans even heavier. Which will it be? Making the change that we all need and deserve won't be easy, not least because caregivers are mostly far too time-strapped to spend a lot of time on activism. If you don't even have time to see your doctor, how can you instigate a massive social upheaval that will overturn misogyny, reconcile Americans to social cooperation, and reframe the cultural meaning of care? I don't have a single answer, but I wrote this book in between kid carpools and my husband's eye surgeries and a lot of couples counseling and the days when I felt like I couldn't keep going and sometimes at a hospital bedside and while we were worriedly sheltering in place during the coronavirus pandemic to help bring this ever more pressing issue into public view. It doesn't help anyone if thousands or even millions of us are all struggling alone in our isolated homes and hospital rooms and private moments of despair. We have to raise our voices together about how hard it is. Caregivers can't do right by the people we love and care for without recognition and help. We need acknowledgement for our work and the chance to live our lives. If society wants us to keep caring for others, it's going to have to show a little more care for us. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sharing About Caring. In these episodes, I try to share about what people feel as they care about those whom they love. My hope is to shine a light on one of the most important gifts that comes from caring, the gift of love. Thank you for listening. This is Carlos Perseño.